When Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. So he hurried down and was happy to welcome him. All who saw it began to grumble and said, he has gone to be the guest of one who is a sinner. Please pray with me. Dear God, we ask you, as we always do, to be here with us this morning. May my words be your words and all of our thoughts your thoughts. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. Many years ago, seemingly a lifetime ago actually, I was at a conference of Episcopalian clergy and I found myself in one of those breakout small groups in which everyone is expected to discuss whatever it was the speaker just said. Now, I don't remember who the speaker was, and I don't remember the topic of the conference, but I do remember one particular interaction. I remember, in the course of the conversation in my little group, commenting on the passage from Luke chapter 18 that we read last week, the story of the Pharisee and the tax collector, a story which is, I think we'll see, naturally connected to this morning's story about Jesus and Zacchaeus. For those of you who weren't here last week, Jesus tells a parable in which a Pharisee is standing in church thanking God that he's not like other people, including a sinful tax collector who sits just a few pews over from him. Meanwhile, this tax collector is beating his breast, refusing to even look up to heaven and calling out for mercy from God. And it's this man, Jesus says, the tax collector who acknowledges that he is a sinner who goes home justified rather than the other. Now, I remember telling that breakout group how glad I was for the gospel, that confession and the appeal for mercy was all it took for that man to go home justified and how good news that was for a sinner like me. But then one of the priests in my little circle said, well, and you could almost hear the hashtag, well, actually, in his voice. Well, he said, the story doesn't end for me there. Did he go home and change his ways? Arched eyebrow. (laughs) Like, gotcha. As though the justification that Jesus offered would only stick if the guy went home and got better stopped doing the bad things that he had been doing. I remember saying to that guy, well, it doesn't actually matter if the story doesn't end there for you. This is Jesus's story. And he decided that it ended right there. For Jesus, last week, the point of the story is made no matter what happens next. The tax collector who is afraid to even look up to heaven Wales, have mercy on me, a sinner. And Jesus says that he goes home justified, implying that God does indeed have mercy on him. That it's that guy who's justified rather than the guy who thinks he's doing all the right things. The guy who thinks he's progressed beyond the need to call out for help. The tax collector is justified. The Pharisee is not. End of story. Literally, that's the end of the story. We don't need to know what happens next. 
But now this week, we find out. In Jesus' interaction with Zacchaeus, we see what happens next. This is one of these really familiar stories. Zacchaeus, chief tax collector and a rich man, has heard about Jesus. This guy is creating a buzz around town, teaching, doing miraculous signs. And so he decides he wants to go and see what all the fuss is about. But Jesus, as he so commonly was by this time, is surrounded by a great crowd. And Zacchaeus was, well, Zacchaeus was a wee little man. And a wee little man was he. I'm glad to see that some folks still remember that song. He wants to see Jesus, but he can't see over the crowd. So he does what enterprising people who don't have tickets to the show have been doing for generations. He climbs a tree, and when Jesus gets to the tree that Zacchaeus is in, he stops, looks up, and says, You, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down from there. Today I must stay at your house. And of course, we read that the crowd starts grumbling. They all wanted Jesus to come and stay at their house. Doesn't Jesus know that Zacchaeus is a tax collector, a sinner? How can he go to be a guest in that guy's house? Why would Jesus want to be in any kind of relationship with him? But we read that Zacchaeus was happy to come down and welcome him into his home. But before they go anywhere, Zacchaeus makes this announcement to the people who have gathered. Lord, half of my possessions I will give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I love this. If I have defrauded anyone of anything, I will pay back four times as much. Zacchaeus, as chief tax collector, has been defrauding everyone of everything. That's why he's so rich. And Jesus says to him, Today salvation has come to this house because he too is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek out and to save the lost. So there are two things that I want to tell you this morning about this story. Real simple sermon outline this morning. The first one will seem overwhelmingly obvious to you. But as you know, we cannot and will not go a single week around here without announcing this. Point one, Jesus comes to seek and save the lost. He doesn't go to any of the homes of the people who think they're worthy of having Jesus stay with them. He finds the one who is unworthy. This is the real life version of the parable, right? Jesus comes to save sinners, the tax collector, not the Pharisee. Indeed, Jesus shows us here that it is his mission while he's on earth. He says, I must stay at your house today. I must. This is what I am here to do. These are my orders. This isn't something that he has decided to do today, you know, spend a day on the wrong side of the tracks. He's not setting aside his normal ministry to have a seeker service on this one morning. No, this is the thing he has been sent to do. It's what he must do. Be with and save sinners. Be with and save those who do not have it all together. Seek out and save the lost, like you 
and me. Now, the second thing that we need to get out of this passage this morning flows right out of that first thing. Indeed, the first point this story makes that Jesus has come to seek and save the lost is the only reason that anything else happens at all. It is the source and the cause of everything else in this story and of the Christian life as a whole, and it is certainly the cause of the second point of this morning's sermon, that Jesus will change you forever. First thing, Jesus came for sinners. Second thing, Jesus will change you forever. When Jesus picks Zacchaeus out of the tree, the next words out of Zacchaeus' mouth after Jesus invites himself over to his house and into his life is to promise to change his ways. I'll give half of my possessions away to the poor, he says, and if I've defrauded anyone, I'll repay four times as much. His encounter with Jesus has a profound impact on Zacchaeus. He seems to be an instantaneously changed man. So let's go back for one second to the first thing before we say a little bit more about the second thing. The first thing that Jesus comes to seek and save the lost that we take away from this story is the same thing that we took away from the parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector. And really, it's the same thing that we take away from the parable of the lost sheep, the lost coin, the prodigal son, the 11th hour workers, the parable that Jesus told over and over again until he was blue in the face. And more than that, it's the story that Jesus lived. Just like a doctor who spends his time with the sick and not with the healthy, Jesus went incessantly to the ones who did not deserve him, not to the ones who claimed that they did. This is worth announcing over and over again. This is our lifeblood that Jesus came to seek and save the lost. That was his mission. A mission brought to final fruition on a criminal's cross. The Son of God, Savior of the world, taking the shame of the sinful onto his righteous shoulders and saving them, you and me, the ones least deserving. But what happens next? That's what's on tap for this week. What happens to a sinner when they get saved? But as we'll see, and I want to be really clear about this, we cannot actually separate those two things. The common mistake, and the mistake that that Episcopal clergyman was making all those years ago, the common mistake is to distinguish between the work of God to save and then the work of man to respond. That guy thought that Jesus had done his part, right? But the story didn't end for him there. He wanted to see what the man was going to do now. But as the story of Jesus and Zacchaeus will teach us, these two things cannot be separated. It's all God's work from beginning to end. The tax collector in Jesus' parable went home justified that day 
before anything had had a chance to change. And really the same thing is true of Zacchaeus, right? Listen again to what Jesus says. Today, salvation has come to this house because he too is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. Zacchaeus has made a good promise, but he hasn't done anything yet. And it doesn't make sense, therefore, that his good deeds are what saves him. In fact, Jesus says, Zacchaeus is saved because he is a son of Abraham. What does that mean? Is Jesus referring just to the fact that Zacchaeus is a Jew? That he's saved by coincidence of his birth and his DNA? Well, I don't think so. I think Jesus is saying here that Zacchaeus is saved in the same way as Abraham. He's calling back to Genesis 15 when God makes a promise to Abraham, who is at that point called Abram. And the scripture says that Abram believed the Lord and that it was credited to him as righteousness. And that's the key point, a point that Paul makes explicitly in Romans chapter 4. The righteousness unto salvation comes as a credit, completely apart from any good things that might be done. Here's what Paul says. For the promise to Abraham and his offspring that he would be heir of the world did not come through the law, that is obedience, but through the righteousness of faith. For if it is the adherents of the law who are to be heirs, faith is null and the promise is void. Salvation, he is saying, is not by birth and it's not by works. Just like that other tax collector, the one in the parable, whose follow-up deeds are so beside the point that Jesus ends the story without even mentioning them, just like that other tax collector, Zacchaeus is saved by faith. He was lost. Jesus came to save the lost. And Zacchaeus believes it. Just like Abraham. So what do we make of the result of Zacchaeus' great pronouncement about his new life? Well, now we see that while the follow-up deeds may be beside the point, while they contribute nothing to Zacchaeus' salvation, they certainly will exist and they will be extravagant. Look, he says, half of my possessions, Lord, I will give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I will pay back four times as much. So first, we make of this what it plainly is. Proof that Zacchaeus has been made new. Zacchaeus has met Jesus and has been changed. His heart seems to have been completely overhauled, totally reoriented. He's gone from a fundamentally self-interested person to someone who wants to make amends and indeed be generous. He's come face to face with the good news that the Holy Son of Almighty God not only wants, but has created a relationship with him, a notorious sinner, and he will never be the same. That's part of what it means to meet Jesus. You will never be the same. 
And that's always the order in which this happens, too. We meet Jesus, we are changed. Jesus doesn't come to those who have changed themselves or to those who are in the process of changing themselves or even to those who seem to exhibit some readiness to begin to change themselves. No. Jesus comes to seek and save the lost, those who are unable to change themselves. And it is the contact with Jesus that changes Zacchaeus and us. He comes, we are changed. Jesus will change you forever. And boy, is Zacchaeus changed. He's so changed, in fact, that he proves the error of anyone who would say that good behavior after salvation somehow locks it in or contributes to it in any way. Sure, the tax collector may have been justified, but what's really important is what he did next. No. Look with me for a moment at what Zacchaeus did next. Half my possessions, Lord, I will give to the poor, and if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I will pay back four times as much. So, aha, right? Now that Zacchaeus has been saved, he knows he needs to start keeping the law in order for that salvation to stick to prove that it was real. But let me read to you now the law about fraud, the law that would have applied to Zacchaeus' situation. This is from Leviticus chapter 6, beginning in verse 1. The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, If anyone sins and commits a breach of faith against the Lord by deceiving his neighbor in a matter of deposit or security, or through robbery... Or if he has oppressed his neighbor or has found anything lost and lied about it, swearing falsely in any of all the things that people do and sin thereby. If he has sinned and has realized his guilt and will restore what he took by robbery or what he got by oppression or the deposit that was committed to him or the lost thing that he found or anything about which he has sworn falsely, here's what he shall do. He shall restore it in full and shall add a fifth to it. And give it to him to whom it belongs on the day he realizes his guilt. And he shall bring to the priest as his compensation to the Lord a ram without blemish out of the flock or its equivalent for a guilt offering. And the priest shall make atonement for him before the Lord. And he shall be forgiven for any of the things that one may do and thereby become guilty. To be obedient to the law. All Zacchaeus would have had to do was repay the victims of his frauds, adding a fifth on top of the debt, and then make a guilt offering at the temple. Done and done, and all righteousness would have been fulfilled. If it was up to Zacchaeus now to take the baton, if God had done the saving, and now he had to do the responding, that's what would have happened he would have started following the law. If his follow-up behavior was the point, he would have started keeping the law. But this is not really up to Zacchaeus even now. And his follow-up behavior isn't the point either. The point is Jesus, as always. From beginning to end, even now, in Zacchaeus' response, you can see that it is God at work not Zacchaeus. And look at the work that God is doing. If I have defrauded anyone of anything, I will pay back four times 
as much. So we see that Zacchaeus has undergone a far more profound transition than we might have thought. He has not simply gone from lawbreaker to lawkeeper. No, that would be a change of attitude or orientation, a decision that Zacchaeus would have made. Zacchaeus is now an explosion of generosity, far beyond what the law required. Repayment plus a fifth? No way. I'll repay four times what was the law, this legal requirement, has become to Zacchaeus a gift straight from God. Generosity. A resurrection heart. Zacchaeus has been given a new heart, one that is generous and loving. In Ezekiel, the Lord makes a promise to his children. I will give them one heart, says the Lord, and a new spirit I will put within them. Sounds like Zacchaeus, right? Not just a new keeping of the law, but a whole new spirit. I will remove the heart of stone from their flesh and give them a heart of flesh. God is here promising new life to his children. Not obedience alone, but new life. And that is exactly what Zacchaeus has been given. And it's why we can never separate the grace of God that got him saved from the grace of God that flows out of him in love after his salvation. He doesn't generate a new law-keeping in himself to prove to those around him that Jesus really did have an effect on him. No, he has been given a new heart, a resurrection heart. And now he cannot help himself, giving in restitution above and beyond what the rules would have required him to do. So it is that our hearts have been made new. Your heart, on account of Christ, is made new. Jesus, the Holy Son of an Almighty God, has come to seek and save the lost, the sinner, you. And now having met him, you will never be the same. You have been given a new heart this law, the expectations of that holy God will no longer judge you. You know yourself to be a sinner, but that sin has been taken to the cross by Christ. Now you will be, by the grace of God, the same grace that saved a sinner like you in the first place. You will be, by the grace of God, an explosion of love, mercy, Kindness, gentleness, and all the other fruit of the Spirit. You are a new creation, resurrected by the finished work of Jesus Christ. It was true for that tax collector in Jesus' parable. It was true for the tax collector Zacchaeus in real life. And it is true for you today. Thanks be to God. Amen.